Happy Easter. You're going to have a great day today? It's a great day if you know the Lord. God is faithful. How many have been through the storm and God's been with you? How many have been on the mountaintop and God is with you? I tell you, you know, the Bible says we have the option of going back to where we used to be if we wanted to. But I don't know anybody who wants to do that. Why? Because God is good. You ever wonder why we celebrate Easter? I know you probably all know, but why is this day so important? A lot of people know. I never want to assume that everybody knows. As we know that Easter is the most important of the Christian holidays, far surpassing Christmas. Why? Because the resurrection is the cornerstone of everything we believe. 1 Corinthians 15 says, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. How many have had loved ones go on, pass away? In Christ. You know you're going to see them again, right? That's what we live for, right? Well, if there is no resurrection, we're not going to see them again. We're just going to go in the ground and that'll be it. If Jesus was not resurrected, then anything that we say, preach, believe, practice, or live isn't worth it. Because if it weren't for the resurrection, then everything else would be false. It wouldn't matter. So I'm going to try to make this as plain and simple as possible because we've heard many Easter sermons, I'm sure, over the years. You've heard them in the past. But we all needed to be reminded of what the resurrection symbolizes. If Jesus was never resurrected from the grave, then payment has not been made for our sin. Now, what do I mean? You ever ask yourself the question, why can't God just forgive sin. Just wipe the slate clean. He's God, right? I used to ask this question all the time. You know, if he's God and he can do anything, why can't he just wipe everybody's slate clean and everybody's going to make it to heaven? He, He can do whatever he wants, right? God is love. Why can't he do that? Well, God's love and God's justice are two sides of the same coin. You cannot have one without the other. If there is no justice, then there really can't be true love. The example I used this morning at sunrise was if a murder was committed and the guilty man came to the judge and the judge says, you know what, I love you, I care for you, you are forgiven, you may go. Where is the love for the family of the person he killed? Where is the justice for the family of the person he killed? For God to be love he also has to be just. The beauty of the cross is that God said, I'm going to show you my love and I'm going to show you my justice in the same time. Now, how do we show that love? How do we appropriate that love? Well, we're going to look at a story that I'm sure most of you know. The one guy who sought Jesus out, and his name was Nicodemus. John 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. 
For no one can perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How many have heard that phrase before? Born again. Before I was a Christian, I used to shudder at that phrase. Like, what do you mean born again? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to point out a couple of things about this. Nicodemus was not just a Pharisee, but he was a member of the ruling council. In other words, he had been trained from childhood to be a leader. Very smart, smarter than your average bear, a learned man. He wasn't your garden variety fisherman. He wasn't your garden variety guy. He was a guy who could not be easily duped or convinced. The second thing is he wanted to do the right thing. But sometimes even righteous people will do the wrong thing due to the current of evil pulling at them. He was in the Pharisees. He wanted to do the right thing. And that, that current of that group was kind of pulling him away. And he was curious about what the right thing to do was. So he comes to Jesus. Now, we'll find out later. We're not going to see it today. But if you read your Bible, you're going to find out that he actually left the Pharisees and went after Jesus. You know, sometimes we can't change the people or situations that are around us. But it ultimately leaves you with a choice. Are you going to follow the crowd? You're going to follow the group you're with, or you're going to make a choice that you know is the right choice to make, even though it's difficult. And for him, it was probably a hard choice to leave a group that he's known all his life. He grew up that way, was trained that way. He eventually made the choice to leave it. The choice to follow Jesus isn't always the easy choice. In fact, it's probably the hard choice to make in this world. But it's always the right choice. If you think following Jesus is easy, if someone told you that, then they're mistaken. Because following Christ is not always easy. It's always blessed, but it's not always easy. Because the Bible says we suffer just like the world suffers, right? The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Just as many people get sick as people who don't know Christ. We get sick, we have troubles, we have situations, we lose our jobs, all those things happen to us. The difference is we have Christ and he carries us through those situations. If it weren't for that, we would fail. We would be lost because we have no one to fall back on. The Bible says God carries us through that. Nicodemus knew that and made the choice to follow Christ. The second thing or the third thing, he came to Jesus at night. Now there's probably two possibilities for this. The first one was, you know, both of these guys were busy. Nicodemus respected Jesus' time and he was busy during the day and so he took time out of his schedule at night to meet with Jesus. Sometimes we have to inconvenience ourselves to meet with Jesus. Nicodemus gave up his free time at night to come to meet Jesus. We take what would be our free time and spend it with the Lord. Sometimes it's not the easiest thing to do. I shared this this morning. If I don't pray first during the day, I know I'm not going to have enough time at the end of the day to pray. So we pray first. We spend time with Jesus first. The free time that you think you have should be spent, some of it, with the Lord. The other option it could be, other than they were both busy, which I think is more the right way, is he was afraid of what others would think. So he came to Jesus at night. His, her, his whole circle of friends, a group of Pharisees he hang around, hung around with, 
If they found out he was going to talk to Jesus, who knows what that meant for him. So he was kind of afraid. But the main point here is that he conquered that fear and he met with Jesus. He could have said, you know what, I'm too afraid, I'm not going to meet with him at all. But he decided to check him out. Even if it was after dark and nobody could see him, he still decided to go meet with him. He could have let fear keep him away, but he didn't. Now, he was private in his search, but when he found Jesus, he was vocal about it. Sometimes we're afraid of what others are going to think, and that's fine for now. But don't let that fear keep you from searching out Jesus. Even though he was afraid of what others might think or say, it didn't stop him from wanting to know the truth. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we want to really know the truth? Or do we want to carry on the way we're carrying on? I wrote down here, free, feel free to search discreetly. It's okay, don't tell anybody. Search it out for yourself. See if what we say isn't true. But be prepared for the excitement when you realize the truth. For those of us who've gotten saved maybe later, later in life, it's like a light bulb went off, and man, it changed who you are. It changed your heart from the inside out, and you become a different person. My kids don't know what I was like when I was, before I was a Christian, because I've been a Christian most of their life. And I can tell you, it was a radical change. And for everybody else, it's probably a radical change as well. But be prepared for that. And if that's what you want, that's what Jesus is offering you. Number four, he tells Jesus things that he heard and seen in others. Notice he kept the concentration, the topic, on the Lord. He didn't talk about the politics of the day. He didn't talk about how to be a better Pharisee. He didn't talk about any side issue. He kept focusing on Jesus. If you talk to people, it's easy to focus on all the other side issues that surround Christianity. Politics, that's a big one, right? Republican, Democrat, abortion, sexual orientation, all those things that surround us or on the, the peripheral side of Christianity, it's easy to get drawn down those rabbit trails and talk about that rather than focusing on Jesus. God will handle all the rest of that stuff. Our main interest is, who is Jesus to me? He put all that stuff aside and just looked for Jesus. He came to find out if what he heard was true. Not if Jesus was going to overthrow the government or what political side he was on or what spectrum he was on or what he was going to do about things. He came to find out if the testimonies he heard about Jesus were true. And the only way to, for us to find out is to come to Jesus. Try it out. I had the phrase, try it out. How many of you buy clothes without trying them on? Nobody, right? Why? Because they don't fit. When you try them on and they fit, you buy them. I've said this before. If you don't believe what I'm saying, try it out. Make a decision to follow Christ and see if what I'm saying isn't true. If it's not true, if God doesn't transform you from the inside out, then okay. But you can't make that decision unless you try it, unless you do it for yourself. You may have heard testimonies or stories from other people about what Jesus did for them. 
And that's great. But the only way you're going to find out if it's true is if you do it for yourself. You pray the prayer, you bow your knee, and you admit you're a sinner and say, God, without you, I'm nothing. I want to be saved. I want to know you. I want to walk right with you. And you don't see if that light bulb turns on in your head. God's word will either change your heart or it won't. But you're never going to know which one is true until you step out in faith and do it. Nicodemus had been taught all the Old Testament stories and doctrines and prophecies. And what was happening is he's beginning to figure out all the things written in the Old Testament that pointed to Jesus. The title, which I'm not a good titler. My wife, I think, came up with that title. Everything in the Old Testament that, that he knew as a Pharisee, it was now he's putting it together. He's beginning to see that all the prophecies in the Old Testament that pointed to the Messiah was being fulfilled in Jesus. And it's beginning to click. And so he's hearing all these stories. He knows the stories. He's hearing what Jesus did. And now he's coming to find out if, in fact, he matches all those stories in the Old Testament. Maybe you heard stories as a kid and you, you know all about them. Adam and Eve and Abraham and Moses and King David and Jesus and Paul, all those folks. Everything in the Bible points to or is about Jesus. Nicodemus knew about the Messiah. He knew he was coming. He knew all the prophecies that were meant to point to him. And at last count, there were about 333 prophecies in the Old Testament that told them who Jesus was going to be. They said he was going to be born in Bethlehem. They said he was going to be born of a virgin. They said all these different things that hundreds of years before he was born, they prophesied all these things, and all these things came true in one person. And Nicodemus was kind of putting two, to two and two together. He knew about him, but he didn't know him. A lot of people go to church and they know about Jesus, but they don't know him. He was saying to himself, I've seen all this stuff you're doing, and it seems to me that you line up with what I know from the Old Testament. Are you really who you say you are? And what did Jesus say to him? John 3, 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. What was he saying? Information's not enough. Not enough. Just because you know something doesn't mean you got it. What you have to do is let that information into your heart and make you change. How many of you like swimming in cold water? Not me. I like bath water from my pool water. But if you know the water's cold and you jump in anyways, what does it do? You get used to it after a while, right? But you have to make the choice to jump in the water. A lot of people know about the Bible, but they've never jumped in to see if it's true. We gave the illustration on Wednesday night about trust. When my kids were little, I'd stand inside the pool and I'd have them jump. And, you know, at first they were afraid and they wouldn't jump and not sure if I'm going to catch them or not and the water's cold, it's deep, and I'm jumping, I'll catch you. And once they jumped and I caught them, oh, then it's on. <laughs> They, you know, again, again, again. But they had, to take the, they had to take the step of faith. 
Do I trust my dad or not? Do you trust what God says or not? People who know about the Bible but don't know about Christ, they're as lost as the biggest pagan that we know. So what does he mean by being born again? It's a term we use, the Bible uses it. It's a weird term to be sure, but I'll explain it to you and it makes it easier. Because Nicodemus asked the same question. How can a man be born again when he's old? In John 3, 4, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Of course, that's ridiculous, right? And Jesus answered that by saying in John 3, 5, Jesus answered, I'll tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit gives birth to spirit. In other words, no one can have their sins forgiven or have a relationship with Christ unless two things happen. First one, you've got to be born. You've got to be born the natural way, right? You've heard the expression, her water broke. Having a natural birth is being born of water. So you've got to be born, you've got to be alive to have a relationship with Christ. And the second thing is, you've got to be born of the Spirit. That's a little deeper but it's easily understood. When you are born, when everyone is born, we have a spirit nature that is dormant. It's, it's dead. We, have, we call it original sin or uh, sin nature. Our natural state is to be spiritually dead. And as long as we're alive, before we make that commitment to Christ, we have no way to communicate with God because our spirit, it's like having a two-way radio that one of the sides doesn't work. You can't talk to God because one side doesn't work. God's side works, and God wants to fix this other radio. Let me put another transistor in it, and it'll work. God says, unless you are born again and that spirit part becomes alive, you, can, you cannot have a relationship with God because you don't understand it. And so when you were born again or born a second time, that means God makes that spirit part of you work. The radio works. Now you can have a communication relationship with God. So you've got to be born the natural way. And you've got to be born the spiritual way. You have to have a spirit part that is in there alive, not dormant. And that means no matter how good or moral or refined or gifted we are, we are incapable of having a really re intimate relationship with Christ. Neither can we obey, understand, or please God with our life no matter how good we are if we don't have Christ at the center of our life, it doesn't matter. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and this is the prayer I pray for every person who doesn't know Christ. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The enemy has blinded people to the truth of the gospel. They can't understand, they can't see it. And what happens when you become a Christian, God removes those blinders from your eyes and you walk away going, I get it. I get it. I understand what they're talking about. Because up to that point, you don't understand. The Bible says these things are spiritual and unspiritual people can't understand them. The birth of the spiritual aspect of a person is the only way to really know God is. What's required for the new birth? First, you've got to believe in the death of Jesus as payment in full for your sin which means you have to acknowledge that we're sinners. Anybody here not a sinner? I want to see your hand. 
because everybody knows we are sinners. Everybody knows we're not perfect. We blow it all the time. However, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. In other words, going back to justice again, nothing that is sinful can be in God's presence. It just physically can't be there. You ever have a, we get these occasionally, a loaf of bread that they, gets down to the end and it's in the cupboard for a long time. What happens to that bread? It gets moldy, green, right? If you take that bread out and you put it on the pavement in a hot sunlight, what happens to that mold? It disintegrates, right? It just can't be in the presence of heat and sun. That's the way sin is with God. It's not that God hates you personally. It's that sin can't be in his presence. It just gets burned up in his presence. And so when God says sin can't enter me, that means the wages of sin is death. We've got to be away from God. And basically, God's given you the option. If you don't want God on this side, God's not making you accept him on the other side. But the same verse says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means everybody, since we're all sinners and we can't be in God's presence, we have to have someone who took our place and paid that penalty for us. And that Good Friday was not good for Jesus, but it was good for us because that was our payment. What he suffered, we should have suffered. And we still need to suffer that if we don't know Christ. All the punishment and anguish that Jesus went through should have been applied to me and to each one here. What's the second thing we gotta do? We gotta repent, which simply means to turn away from your lifestyle. Turn away from what you're doing now and go the other way. It basically means turn around. Acts 2.37, after Peter preached his sermon, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? They heard the gospel, Peter preached to them, and Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, what, for the forgiveness of your sin. Acts 3.17, now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The new birth is not making you over, making yourself over again, making a good person or a bad person good. It is killing the old person and recreating you as a new person. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, what this means is that those who become Christians become new persons. They are not the same anymore. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. When you got saved, if you got saved later in life, you know how radically that, that is true in your life. That you are not the same person that you used to be. Now there's a time that is going to be that you're going to grow and become more mature. But the difference is now you want to. You want to love Christ. You want to do what God says. Before it was like, eh, I don't care. But now you want to do the stuff that God asks you to do. And you want to learn. You want to read God's word. You want to be in church. You want to do the things that Christians do. God puts that want to in you. All this talk about a new birth, having your past forgiven and forgotten, and starting new would all be academic if not for today, the resurrection. Jesus' death was payment for every bad thing we've done. But it doesn't end there. If it ended there, 
What's the Bible say? We're to be men most pitied. and We have no future. It doesn't end there. On the third day, he rose from the dead as a confirmation to all he had preached and taught. A lot of, a lot of righteous people died. A lot of people were martyred. Nobody perfect, but they all loved God. But they were people. And they weren't resurrected. They're still in the ground. Their bodies are still in the ground. They're with Jesus. Had Jesus been crucified but not raised, he would have been just another martyr, just another teacher. But his resurrection is God's final stamp of approval on everything that Jesus taught and his testimony. If we live only for now and not for eternity, or at least have eternity in mind, then it says we are men most pitied. When you send your kids to school when they're young, you have a plan for them. You, you prepare them for what's going to happen. When you go to elementary school, you're preparing them for junior high. You're preparing them for senior high. You're preparing them for either a trade or a college. If you don't prepare them for those things, they're not going to be ready for when they come. In other words, if we don't prepare for eternity now, we're not going to be ready for it when it comes. And the older we get, we know that day's coming. I used this example before, the, football, the Pittsburgh football player in Florida, 24 years old, killed, hit by a cement truck. No one knows when that day is going to be. But the good thing is, we can be ready for that day whenever that day is. God offers a new start to every person. And the resurrection is God's down payment to show us that a new start is believable. I've had it. A lot of you have had it. A new start's believable. And you know what? God not only prepares you for eternity, but God gives you the equipment to live now. How many find that to be true? Whatever situation you're in now, God gives you the ability. You don't think you have it until you're there. And then God gives you that ability. It's like God's word. And the Bible says God's word will return, but does not return void. It will accomplish its purpose. And when I talk to people, God will put scriptures in my head that if I'm just thinking about it, I don't think about them. But the minute I need them, God puts them there. And when you're talking to someone or you're going through a situation, that is when God meets you. Not before, but at the moment that you reach out to him, God's there. And the resurrection is the power that God has to do that. Now, we today we commemorate the death and burial of Christ, but we celebrate the resurrection. But the resurrection does you no good unless you believe it. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's no such thing as the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God, which means everybody's part of God's family. It's not true. The Bible says, all who receive him, those are the ones he gave the right to become children of God. Unless you receive him, 
you are not a child of God. In fact, to get graphic, the Bible says you're a child of the enemy until you come to Christ. And that parentage changes the minute you believe. And not just here, but it has to be here. Because all the head knowledge in the world is not going to get you through situations in your life. You may have been in church all your life and you know it all here. But the only way you're going to really experience it is if you know it here. And the resurrection is the power. The Bible says we have that resurrection power in us if we want to tap into it, if you're a believer. And the only way to tap into that is know what God's word says because his word will come back to meet you where you are. For whatever situation you're in, God will give you what you need at that moment. And it's because of today that any of this matters. Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment? We get to celebrate the greatest day in human history. The day where one man was resurrected to life. And because of his resurrection, we know that one day we will also be resurrected. As much as we look forward to that and anticipate that and prepare for it, we know that God also gives us the ability to live today. He didn't just leave us alone. The Bible says he sent us a comforter, the Holy Spirit. He'll comfort you when you need him. He will bless you when you need him. He will take care of you when you need him, if you ask him to. That's what gets us through the day, knowing that God's there and God helping you through it. Maybe you're going through a situation now in your life. I know there's a lot of folks who are sick, who need a touch, some struggling financially, God's word applies to all of that. The Bible says he is your provider. The Bible says he is your healer. There's many things that the, God, the Bible tells us that God is to us once we become a believer. I can and I know many of you can give testimony to the fact of how God carried you through situations, how God healed your body, how God blessed you with a job miraculously did something in your life that you couldn't do yourself. But the only way to do that is if you know Christ personally. And we said it earlier. We're sinners. And the only thing we can do to get right with God is believe that Jesus paid that debt for us. That he truly is God incarnate. God in the flesh. And he suffered for you and for me. And then God raised him on the dead to validate everything he said. He called himself the Messiah many times. He referred to himself as the Savior many times. So Lord, he is the Savior. And it's because of your belief in that that changes your life. If you're here and you've never done that, or you did it years ago and you want to redo it because you haven't been walking with God, this is the day to do it. What better day than Easter morning, resurrection morning, 
to recommit your life to Christ. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand because I want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you this morning for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for all your blessings in our life. And your word says that every good and perfect gift we have is from you. And for that, we are eternally grateful. I pray you bless each person here as they celebrate the rest of this day with their family. That God, you just let them feel the presence of God in their life. Even when they're alone, I pray that they would sense your presence and reach out to you. Your word tells us if we reach out to you, we, you, will, you will be found. So I pray that we would do that. And then when we come back next week, we'll have testimonies of how God met us where we are, blessed us where we are, and carried us through whatever situation we're going through. So Lord, I commit each person to you. Have your way in their life, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 God bless you. Four minutes to 12, I made it.